Welcome one and all to episode 104 of the Scum and Villainy Podcast, a weekly Star Wars podcast where we break down the latest and greatest in Star Wars news. I'm your host, Garrett McDowell, and my co-pilot seat, it's Noah DeGeorge. I have this, like, I have this feeling, Garrett, and I mean, you and I talked about it, that Just, it was like... It's, it's a feeling. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> thanks, thanks, John Boyega. Hey, you're um, welcome. Uh, I had this feeling where it was like we ended last last week's episode, like you know, we're yeah. done with with season three of the Mandalorian, and yeah. and you know we've got we've got more stuff on the horizon, which mm-hmm. is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, oh, we have to talk about Mandalorian again, again. this week. You just can't get away from it, but. I think that it's going to be a good a good conversation today. I I was like, should I pour myself a drink? Is that today's episode? Do we do that? But I I didn't. I just stuck with the classic uh, can of RC. So we're, <laughs> we're not there yet. Some uh, sharing of some libations to uh, <laughs> celebrate our closing of the shared narrative. That uh, we are joined today uh, to make this a very special episode by Frank Janish uh, from the Scoundrels Incorporated podcast. Thank you so much for joining me, Frank. Hello there, uh, Garrett and Noah, and. You Look at you, when you brought no when you brought up RC Cola. I haven't had RC Cola since I was in Little League. I didn't even know they still sell it in the stores, but now I must go out and try and find some. All right, all right. Public announcement, <laughs> public service announcement to everybody here. Uh, in the Midwest, we have a store called Woodman's. Mm. Uh, they sell a 24 pack of RC Cola for nine dollars. Okay, well, I can get a. I mean, yeah. they, like, I can't. You can't pass. So, that is up, it purely you know? a price thing, or are you like, no, Absolutely. RC is <laughs> okay? It's, it's. I mean, I I, I like RC, yeah. but like, I can't. You know, you go to Walgreens and nine dollars for a 12 pack of, of Coke or Pepsi. Yeah, like, doesn't hold a candle. You just you can't. It's not beat that much. Beat it's not four dollars better is what you're saying exactly so and what i'm also saying is serves you right garrett for moving out to la <laughs> the midwest is going to be king for uh saving saving pennies in just in regards to eight uh, rc and that's literally it yes. uh, but yeah no you had mentioned uh, last week we uh, discussed the season three finale of the mandalorian uh, and as we teased last week uh, we're actually going to be reviewing the entire season now that we have uh, everything in the rear view mirror we're going to take one last look and then we're looking forward to what is next uh, but before we do that uh, uh, Frank, uh, we like to have a guest on when we kind of uh, uh, take an opportunity to reflect on this past season. Uh, our listeners have heard us ramble on uh, incessantly about this season up to this point, but your perspective is quite new. So what is your overall thoughts of season three now that it's all said and done? Now that it's all said and done, I think I'm not as high on the season as I was a few weeks ago, maybe partway through, midway through the season. I still enjoy it very, very much. It It's taken me some time to kind of go through some of the the issues, I guess, I have with how the story was laid out. And I, I think I feel like I know what they were trying to do and what it's setting up ultimately. And... And then I have to ask myself, is, does, is that a problem for me? Is it a problem for the show? Um, no, not really in conclusion. Um, there's always going to be something small here or there that I, I question. Or I go, hmm, I wonder why they did that. And maybe that bothers me a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I also at the same time never let it um, uh, cloud my enjoyment of, of, of the series or I'm very easy to please with sure. Star Wars. I've I've said this uh, in weeks past. Um, very easy to please me with Star Wars. I'm not super super critical um, of Star Wars, but I can have a critical eye, and oftentimes when I do, I go, "Man, I this, this, I'm more bummed out than I am like they've ruined Star Wars for me." Mm-hmm. So with this season and how it kind of 
made Bo-Katan the lead character as opposed to Din, I had to look at it from a, a perspective of chapters 1 through 24 as opposed to, you know, just a season-by-season season basis. And when I look at it that way for myself, I go... I, I see how all of this works together and not like what what happened here in season three? What, what, why is Din in the backseat now? Why is it all on Bo-Katan's focus? So when I look at it as a book of the Mandalorian chapters one through 24, that actually really helps me put into perspective everything that is happening to Din Djarin and Grogu. And in the last third of the book, they just happen to come across Bo-Katan and retake Mandalore. So everything was set up in the first, you know, two thirds of who these characters are of Din, Grogu, mm-hmm. Bo Katan, the armor, Paz. And then when I get to the final third, it's like, okay, you know, you know all the pieces. Here's where we go now and play the game of retaking Mandalore. And when I look at it that way, it's it's a pretty fun ride. But I still definitely have my favorite third, which would be season two. Yeah. And um yeah, so overall, good conclusion to this you know, three-part book, if you will. Yeah, well, I was keeping, you know, as as Star Wars fans do, when, you know, a new thing comes out, it's always interesting going on Twitter and seeing everyone's reaction. And you were somebody that I felt consistently had that positive attitude of easy to please in one way, but just being excited that there was new stories, new chapters in this, and really looking towards the things that you enjoyed about the episode. So I'm glad to hear that, you know, that initial joy is still there and hasn't necessarily like waned in a, a significant way. Um, but now that that initial excitement has has kind of worn off a bit, now is the chance to look at things more critically, because I think that Noah and I came from a perspective of critical first and then kind of in a way not necessarily robbing, but not ha- letting ourselves have that initial joy of like new fun Star Wars and letting the things that were a bit of a disappointment for us kind of overshadow our thoughts and to get into my general thoughts that is kind of how i felt about this season i felt that there was a lot of interesting paths that this season not only could have taken but set up and i would argue leading the audience to believe that they would be followed um and i think that this show to a like perplexing degree like doesn't follow those in a way that like episode to episode I was kind of like what are we doing what's going on you know you set up this plot point you don't really seem to be interested in following that you so you shift into this other gear and now we're following this but you know I felt that there were different things that they would set up that they would kind of squander um uh like narratively um I think from a character perspective I would have preferred a, a bit more agency um from the two characters it's not even necessarily a case of like i've seen a lot of people frustrated that it's like the mandalorian is taking a backseat in his own show i understand that that is maybe just the reality of the type of story that john and dave want to tell here um i just if if i, I i'm okay accepting that if bo story was equally as interesting and i don't know if if that was the case for me um i think that the journey that she goes on in this season is is pretty good uh and i think that there's just a potential for greatness which if i had to summarize all of my thoughts i think that this season could have been really great and i think i am just disappointed that it kind of ended and it was just 
fine. It was just kind of successful on that action whiz bang adventure level and not as much of a, um, a narrative character, you know, uh, level and, and these rich ideas of, you know, religion and what's going on with the new Republic. Like they set up a lot of heavy ideas, but the show just maybe isn't as interested in diving into them. So I'm still getting kind of adjusted to that and trying to just be like, you know, meet it on its own terms and be like, that's just what this show is. But, you know, uh, let's let's really dive into what works here. So I know, no, I know you had kind of um, a similar perspective, but I, I believe that you're coming into this episode and you're like, I, come on, you know, change my mind. <laughs> <laughs> that that's exactly where I'm at. Um, Frank, I'll give you I'll give you my allegory because I think that this is like an important. <laughs> Not again. Uh, Not again. <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen. I think that this is a good allegory. I think it's really good. My like so because this is important and this is where I've like settled back to is going into season three I was at this place of like you know I I'd sort of come to terms with with what the show was was saying like hey here's what you can expect from us um, and season one and season two are wildly different but they both sort of like they both sort of like settle down into this area of like okay really balancing out a lot of action with like straightforward we're going here then there then there and and we're not gonna you know we're not gonna spend too much time in one place those sort of things so going into season three i was at this place where you know i wasn't expecting a whole lot from it and my my allegory is like you know when you have broken up with somebody and after a long time you see them again and you're like oh it's it's my ex and they're like hey i'm really sorry that things didn't work out and you're like no 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 it's okay. Like, I'm okay. You know, I'm at peace with everything. I'm fine. That's where I was going into season three. <laughs> now, the, the issue was the promise of, of for me, and, and this is not like, oh, the Mandalorian season three did not meet my expectations. But I think the promise of the setup of like, hey, we're really interested in, you know, less so of the bounty hunter adventuring the galaxy and coming across all these kooky wild characters and people that you know, people that you may not know, um, you know, and more interested in the culture of this world that we're building. What is the, you know, what is the intrigue of what it's like to be a Mandalorian and what does that mean to call yourself Mandalorian now with, with, uh, Din Grogu, um, being, being, uh, you know, calling himself a Mandalorian and forsaking, I guess is really the word I would use, but, you know, turning away from the Jedi and, and calling himself, no, I want to be a Mandalorian like my father. Um, so, you know, so what does that necessarily mean? And now saying that it's important to bring all of Mandalore back together. Um, that's a huge, huge promise. I think for, for, you know, setting up what could potentially be an amazing season. And I, I don't want to say that, that the season was meandering at all. I think it had a lot to tell and, and it did. So I think we, we visited a lot of interesting places, but you know, all of that allegory talk all to say, I think by the end of everything, the place that I've settled in is, is very much so that like there are those really fantastic moments that really stand out. I think every episode singularly has like one thing that really like puts it above everything else, whether it's, you know, 
ridiculous cameos from Jack Black and Lizzo or like a pretty, you know, well-directed episode from Carl Weathers or, you know, Ahmed Best coming back. You have like these, these things that once per episode, there is just something to smile about. And I'm really glad about that. That's, you know, one thing that, that I'm sticking with here, I guess, you know, sort of mirroring where, where Garrett's coming from as well is I think that there was a lot of promise in the ideas here. And I don't want to say that the, you know, that leading up to this, I felt misled because that would, you know, completely, that would completely just invalidate a, a creator, a director, a writer's vision because, you know, they're not doing it for me. They're doing it because they're the ones creating it. Um, but, you know, I think getting a lot of, of the teaser trailer stuff of mainly what is the first one to three episodes and maybe one to two episodes, you know, coming into that place and episode two just rocks. It drops you right in and it says, you know, okay, we're already going to redeem Din. And that means that we've got the rest of the season to play with this idea of taking back Mandalore. Um, and then by the end of it, we, you know, we realize, well, we have to fit in New Republic stuff. We have to fit in Moff Gideon. We have to tease Thrawn. We have to do all these things. I think that I understand the the place we started eventually leading to the place where we end up. Um, but I think my issue is that, you know, all of those things, it, it turns out in a way that you just have to get it done. And that's where, that's where I feel like things for me sort of take a dip is just that, we had to accomplish this thing as a story. We had to accomplish the retaking of Mandalore. We had to accomplish the unification of, of Mandalorians. So we just did. And, and like Garrett said, I would love, I would love my mind to be changed. I, I don't want to see it as a cynical, like, you know, they just did it because they had to, and there's no thought behind it. I hate feeling like that as a star Wars fan, because I don't think that that's true. That, that should never be true. And I don't think it ever is. Um, so, you know, I guess to, to wrap it up in, in terms of general thoughts, yeah, change my mind. There has to be, there has to be some reason that I feel this way. And there has to be some reason to say, no, that's a little bit, you're not seeing the full picture because I still in the, in this place of, I fully believe I, I must not be seeing the full picture. You know what I mean? I think a lot of, uh, people le- going into the season and also the marketing were led to believe um, in the kind of way, the way that Din's journey sort of begins in the book of Boba Fett. I think a lot of people thought that this would be a season of redemption in Din Djarin's eyes and, and having that entire uh, a season be an opportunity for him to, you know, go to the living waters and, and go on this spiritual sort of journey. But now that that's said and done, no, you're right. It's like, that's not it at all. You know, that's the first two episodes <laughs> of the season. So Frank, what do you feel like actually is the story being told here throughout season three? You know, season one, you had Mando and Grogu, like, you know, uh, having this, trying to get rid of Grogu sort of angle, trying to stick to be a bounty hunter. What does it mean to walk the way? What does it mean to be a Mandalorian? And then season two, really exploring Grogu and his past as a Jedi and trying to find his people while, you know, Mando also tries to find his. What would you say kind of is the overarching story with season three? I think, you know, coming into the season, I I really did think we were going to spend like a chunk of time of of Dinjarin going to living waters and and you know rectifying his status as an apostate and through that i thought perhaps there'd be exploration of in terms of what does it mean to be mandalorian for himself and once they kind of were like actually you know what in the first two episodes we're gonna we're gonna 
tie that up, which, you know, how we left uh, the Book of Boba Fett. We're going to tie that up in the first two episodes, and we're bringing Bo-Katan here, um, and it's going to be about the the restoration of Mandalore and how Bo-Katan fits into this picture because we've brought her in, right? You've seen her, and now we're going to show you show show you her again, but at her lowest point. And then Din's going to be there and look at this other Mandalorian as an example and see, and he's going to be a witness. Din is in a way, yeah, a witness a lot in this, I feel like in this, in this season, but in, in a good way, because you can, you can look at it as he's taking a backseat or you can look at it as he's learning all these, uh, you know, different lessons from Bo-Katan or the armor or, um, you know, through even through Grogu. Grogu does some things where he's like, I didn't even teach him this. <laughs> and he's looking, he's witnessing a lot of things. And I think people, and this kind of actually plays into Bo-Katan with, in terms of her agency, um, you know, people are, I, and I've kind of come around on this myself. I was like, well, you know, these things just start, keep happening to these people. Like they don't really are initiating any of these actions and stuff is just happening to them. But I think what I've kind of come around on is how are, yes, things are happening to them, but how do they respond? How do they react? What do they learn from that? How do they grow from that? And by the end of the, this season, I feel like most especially Bo-Katan, you know, the, the, we're stronger together. I mean, that's a culmination of a lot of things happening to her. And then she gets to a moment where she can either stand up and fight or wither and be like, you're right, I I'm, I can't do this. And by the end of it, she's like, no, because we are stronger together, she feels empowered in a way that the Darksaber could never empower her. So through the course of the season, I feel like, yes, it's about taking Mandalore, but it's also about what is it, what does it take to actually do that what journey does Bo-Katan have to go on Mm -hmm. to feel like she can lead these people because she's doubtful in herself through a lot of through a lot a large portion of the season and with Din again I think it's just you know for whether you like this or not and and I know people would rather have Din more the focus and I get that because of the prior two seasons but you know I, I still feel like this guy, he he doesn't know a lot of the world, and he's learning a lot of it through experiences of Bo-Katan and meeting other Mandalorians, whether it's Boba Fett, even you know, and mm-hmm. and you have you know the armor doing this one thing, and then you have Bo-Katan, and so you have these two tribes, right? And he's in the middle, I feel like, but also a little bit more towards the Covenant or the uh, Children of the Watch, rather. Yeah. And so it, it's it's I think it's really just in totality about setting up bringing back Mandalore into the fold because what it's really doing ultimately I feel like is setting up for what's going to be needed with Filoni's movie and and I think Ahsoka will also play into the setup as well It'll have its own story obviously but I think ultimately it's leading up to this culmination as they've this big event that's going to happen I think in Filoni's movie but in order to get to that point you need to restore Mandalore, you need to have some time for it to build and and um, be a force for what I think predict I'm predicting is going to be a major force when it comes to Thrawn and influence this movie. So, but I but now I know there's a movie, so it's like it kind of it's kind of changed how I look at the season 
and um, I'm still like working through yeah. what does this mean? What does that mean? Why did they make this decision? Surely everything we've all talked about on the internet, they've talked about mm-hmm. themselves. We're not, you know, the first ones to come up with these ideas. Um, they've made decisions and probably have made hard decisions about how to tell the story, how to get from point A to point B to point C so that it's all makes sense by the time we get to where they ultimately want us to end up. You know, it is really difficult to to talk about the show and just have the sort of blinders to talk about the show rather than, okay, well, Rangers of the New Republic got canceled and they yeah. had quotes saying that it's going to be, you know, still kind of the plot points are going to be folded here and there. And then you've got Ahsoka coming up. And then now, especially with that wrench being thrown in about Filoni in the film leading to this climactic battle perhaps you know it is difficult to watch this and try not to follow some sort of breadcrumb so it, for myself trying to look at this season and, and just really just kind of narrow focus on it because I, I think if if I start to ask any of those other questions I think I'm just going to get more frustrated <laughs> to be honest but <laughs> I think with this season I, I, I think this really felt like Filoni and Favreau had an interest in dismantling the the way you know, the this is the way sort of mantra that the Mandalorians have. What does that mean? What is the way and how is that sort of thought process pretty um, unhelpful or, or kind of regressive for the Mandalorian people, given what's happening to them and, and, and how they're splintered and scattered throughout the galaxy? Setting up these boundaries, setting up these rules are only going to separate them and not unify them. I felt that was a story that the entire Mandalorian's were kind of being steered to learn together to maybe not necessarily get rid of those practices, but maybe understand that the differences in practices um, doesn't have to be uh, a, a breaking point for them. I think for myself, there is a, a word that Bo-Katan uses uh, in season two in describing the children of the watch. And she describes them as like a cult practically. Mm-hmm. And that's something that a lot of fans like picked up on. And I think that the reason that a lot of people, myself included are bumping up against kind of the lack of exploration from a Dinjarin's perspective, from the armor's perspective, from these people who walk the path of the way and the children of the watch is when you throw a word that is so charged, like a cult and then throw in these other ideas of religious fanaticism and you know dogma and all of these things to me I think that is very understandable to lead some people to believe that there are these heavy practices or these heavy um, uh, themes being uh, you know attempted to be discussed here but I think the show is far more interested in sort of telling this more broad stroke kind of something more aligned with like a new hope, you know, to where this is a a relatively simple story about the good guys working together to beat the bad guys, um, which I think, uh, and we'll we'll certainly get to that. I I, I don't think is is as creative or an interesting creative choice as it potentially could have been. But I would say, yeah, if if I really had to summarize the plot of this season, I think it would be about the children of the watch and other kind of remaining Mandalorian citizens learning the value of working together in order to face this common and growing enemy within this kind of um, imperial remnant. But uh, what about you, Noah? It's a little bit difficult for me only because, you know, I, I 
I can see all of these things and I can see them spelled out. Um, you know, the show is telling us this is where we're going with these characters and what we plan to do with them moving forward. I think the, you know, the thing I'm bumping up into here is that when we actually get a lot of the interpersonal conflicts um, that that they don't feel utilized to their full potential um, in, in a way that like comes off as just a little bit strange because, you know, talking about, you know, whether or not we're going to have this conflict between a cult and people that, you know, are separate from it saying that, you know, whether it's some Mandalorians believe that Bo-Katan is the reason that things fell apart and some Mandalorians believe that the cult is the reason that things fell apart or at least a representation of of why things fell apart and why things can't possibly be put back together. And then they just are. Um, is That's sort of what I'm bumping up into here, which does not necessarily detract from the idea that like, yes, what we are talking about here is a, it's a season of, of unification. It's a, it's a, you know, a grouping of chapters that is about unification. It's about, you know, like you said, being stronger together and, you know, and, and the self doubt that, that comes within being a leader. Um, I do think that like Bo-Katan receives, you know, her due treatment in this season. I don't think that, I don't think that her story is, is understated at all. Um, but when we, you know, look at things from a general perspective, I think Frank, you mentioned something before that, like looking at this as like a whole, like we are already up to chapter 24 at this point and looking at it, you know, overall that this chunk really fits into the, you know, fits into place here. I think that that helps me a lot in terms of like, what does it, what does the season, you know, mean? What is it trying to do from a character perspective? Um, because I think isolated as a season or as a, you know, a few isolated episodes, there are some character things that really frustrate me. But knowing where we come from in season one, that it, it eases it a little bit, knowing that we are, you know, that we're looking at these characters through this lens of, you know, starting in a journey here and learning a lot about the world, learning a lot about other people, learning about other cultures, um, and getting to this place now where, you know, this season is truly, you know, a, a, it, it happens as a result is directly consequential of seasons one and two, as well as mm -hmm. stuff that happens in book of Boba Fett, obviously. Um, so knowing that like that the things that happen in this season are not isolated, that it does feel more deserved. Um, so I, I think that the unification of things um, is where this season does have its, it has its strong suit uh, in mm -hmm. that. I think that there are some wasted opportunities and some moments where the pacing feels a little bit, you know, the pacing and the structure feels a little bit odd, but I, I understand it. Um, so I, I'm, I'm working through it, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I, you'd mentioned um, Bo-Katan and her journey, uh, uh, you know, obviously is is prominent in this season is understandably the the forefront for a lot of people. But this being a show about the Mandalorian, you know, Din Djarin is there, too. So, Frank, what did you really think that, you know, Din Djarin's story being told here and how do you feel like it fits into this overall sort of, um, you know, kind of novel that you're describing of, you know, him as a character and his growth towards understanding Grogu as well as himself. How do you think that this season sort of fits into that? Yeah. So with Din, you know, it sets up that there's the children of the watch and, and this is pretty much all he knows, mm -hmm. right? You, you, and we go through that through seasons one 
and most of two, right? He he's introduced to Pocatan, and then he's like, "Well, wait a minute, there's, huh? This is interesting. Mm-hmm. I like you, but you also take your helmet off, huh?" So now he starts his worldview starts expanding, right? And when you get into season three, now he's, you know, once he's been introduced to it, now he's about to fully step into these two. Di- he's he's about to experience two different worlds. Where it's his children on the watch, and then it's the Bo-Katan tribe, if you will, right? And I, I don't know if you guys can hear this car alarm that's been going on. I, I can't but it's hear been, it. It's driving me nuts, and I'm trying to really focus right now because I don't understand why it's still. Happening. <laughs> Remember that thing that we said about everything working out great at the, you know, the first try. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah, we'll fix it in post. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good luck. Good luck. Um, okay. To try and get back on track, oh my gosh, this thing is so annoying right now. <laughs> I have a try, I'm trying to really like have a have a poignant thought here, and th- it just it's just continuing. It's just continuing. It's just not going to stop. No, it's not. All right. So, so Bo-Katan, <laughs> just, like, yeah. Now the Bo-Katan. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, <laughs> oh my gosh! Now that I pointed it out, it's even more blaring in my ears. Um. Okay. So Din. He is experiencing both these two different worlds. One he's never heard or experienced and has been told, you know, they've lost their way. And he's finding out that that's not really the case because at the end of the day, he pledges himself to Bo-Katan, right? And if they were so far lost, you know, there's no way Din would have said that. And there's no way the armor would have... um, wanted the two tribes to come together and to retake Mandalore. Um, I think looking at the armor, you know, she did what she thought needed to be done for for the survival of of their way of the Mandalorian. And to to keep that in a sense pure. Now you can think about that what you will, that's a whole nother conversation, just the armor alone. But then to have that contrasted with Bo Katan in the way the other Mandalorians live their lives the the lost way, and then find out. Well, no, they just they just do things differently. They still adhere to a lot of uh, the principles of what it means to be a Mandalorian. It's, if if like the major sticking point is the removal of the helmet, mm-hmm. I would like to think that Din and Paz and everybody else can be like, okay, they don't subscribe to that. That's you know that's fine. There's still numbers out there. There's still, we're, and now all of a sudden we're coming together. So maybe there, this can, this can work. These mm-hmm. both both ways can work. Um, and for Din, I think it's you know it's interesting when it, when it's interesting when people really want him to take off his helmet because they 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 view it as a sign of uh, of a character growth, right? That he's that you don't have to you you, like, you don't have to keep your helmet on. But I also feel like Din has made a decision of even though he's experienced this other way of how to be a Mandalorian I still feel like he's making a choice to still adhere to he's still loyal to the thing that got him to the place that he is today that that's rescued him that saved him that you know raised him mm-hmm. and he wants to give back to that and wants to honor that in his way. He's made he's made that decision. Now you could say it might be a little bit warped because of the way he was raised, but it's not like he's he's stuck in a cave this entire time. He's been out 
in the galaxy doing different missions and and now he has Grogu right so that's another influence on him that that's an outside influence not a, an influence within you know the armor and the children of the watch so it's not like he's being held hostage as you would normally think of like kind of like a cult like I mean we can joke about it yeah you can leave anytime you want but why would you <laughs> right you can make yeah. all those jokes yeah but it still is true and I don't I view the children of the watch a little less culty than than I used to think of them if only because the way the armorer says Bo-Katan walks both worlds to me that's like her saying all right we had to we had to walk this way for a long time because we had to have survivability but now that this new age is upon us and the mythosaur and all that stuff we can get into that mm-hmm. you know this is a signal of okay we what we did here mattered to get to this point, whether or not it's coincidence or not. In her eyes, it's this is what happened to get to this point. We did all this. Um, I feel like I've strayed away from the point you initially asked me due to the car alarm. <laughs> and now I'm just going off on things that hit it's like, okay. it's it's my brain. It's good stuff because that's the that's like some of this character stuff that I'm the most hung up on is the armor. And you're right. That's yeah. a totally that's a that is a, a massive conversation to have of of what yeah. are her what are her motivations as a character and, and in her relationship with other characters? You know, what's what's that switch that flips? Obviously being the the uh, supposed mythosaur sighting, that's that's yeah. the inciting incident of her, you know, of her realization. My, you know, my thing is I'd love to see more of that. We don't get a whole lot of it, but it's there. You're totally right that it's there. And I think I think that that's it. I, I will say real quickly, too, about the armor like or in, in this show in general. It, for better or for worse, whether you like this part of the show or dislike this part of the show, it it doesn't really – it lets you, fo- like, fill in the gaps. And and if you like that type of thing where you can fill in the gaps instead of the show just telling you, like, no, 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 this is exactly who it is. There's, there's you know, some people really like that and some people don't like that. They want to be told exactly what they're getting and some people – be like, well, it could be this, or it could be that. I don't know. Maybe we'll find out. And I, I think the show, in general, you know, whether it's about is you know Bo or Grogu or Bo, yeah, Bo mm-hmm. armor, you know, all our main 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 characters, they don't specific, they don't come out and say this is exactly who they are. They give you like this is part of them, but is this really all of them? And it's on the audience to decide. I feel like. Is that, or they could go a different way. Is the armor a traitor or not? Is you know, is what's what's the deal with Paz? You know, and it's, um, it, it. I think that's one of the most interesting parts about the show. And sometimes, most most times, I just go, the show just. I'm just gonna take in whatever you're you're sending out there, and if if I want to dive into it, mm-hmm. there's room to dive into and have these different conversations, which I think is a great thing about the show because that's what we're doing here. We're, we're it's like. If they just told us who the armorer was, I think it's it's a pretty short conversation, right? Mm-hmm. But because they haven't, now we're like, well, hmm, and it and it and that kind of also spurs thought into at least for me personally, um, thoughts into how I live my life because a lot of Star Wars informs a lot of the way that I feel like I've come out so far mm-hmm. in this world, and I feel like with shows like. Mandalorian um, makes me think about, hmm, what if I did meet someone who's 
who follows a similar train of thought to me, but it's slightly different. Would I shun them what, or would I talk to them? Would I accept them for who they are? And even if I don't necessarily agree with everything they do, is that can be a problem for me. So I feel like there's still like life lessons to take out of the show as well as just in general um, civil discourse. Yeah. The internet, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I think if I'm to draw like a, a clear through line or I guess use examples from this season as well as past episodes to kind of draw a, a connection between Din's arc, I think I would go to when Din first meets Bo-Katan and also when he first meets Cobb Vanth and he sees that they take off their helmet, they don't follow the way. And with Cobb Vanth, he's literally like, I'm going to take your armor because you don't deserve it. And if you don't give it to me, I'm going to kill you. You (laughs) With Bo-Katan, he immediately is like, you're not a Mandalorian. And she kind of, you know, fills him in. She's like, dude, I'm like pure blood, man, you know, uh, born and raised a Mandalorian. Uh, And then, you know, draw that connection towards uh, the uh, second to last episode here, uh, The Spies, when he's talking with Bo-Katan on that little like boat ship thing that they have Uh, and he tells her that you know her station and her bloodline and her using the darksaber it doesn't really mean anything to him as well as his people it's more about her honor and her loyalty and her character and then he kind of vows to uh, to serve her until her song is written which I think is a very clear journey that he has gone on and I think that his relationship and Bo being an example of how they can work together there's a lot of scenes in this uh, season where they are working together and they make a good pair which I think is really great. I think that my frustration is sort of twofold. I think that that feels very clear for Din Djarin, um, an example of what Frank was talking about to where, yeah, that is stated by this character, but throughout the whole season, it's it's more shown. And it's in comparison from how he interacts with some characters in this season as opposed to prior seasons. I think the frustration that I am having is, one, we don't get to see the rest of the children of the watch go on a similar journey they are just sort of like there too and then Paz Vizsla gets up in a fight and is like let's take Navarro and they're like okay you know and then they <laughs> yeah, also yeah. decide to follow Bo-Katan because she rescued a kid from a big pterodactyl and then like <laughs> a couple other things you know I, I think that she is shown to be um, a good like militaristic leader but I think if anything Paz Vizsla is really shown to be the leader and I don't think that that respect is necessarily transferred from Paz Vizsla to uh, uh, Bo-Katan, and especially so with the armor, who I'm sure we'll get into, because this entire season is essentially kind of that chess match that we're seeing uh, also in The Spies, where they're on the boat and they're arguing about the rules of the chess match, and they get in a fight, and they're like, okay, well, let's fight each other about it. And then, you know, Grogu is able to be the one to step in. So I really like that idea of that uh, discussion of rules and practices. I just wish, wish we could have seen the rest of the Children of the Watch also come to that understanding of the type of leader that Bo-Katan could be um, and not the least of which being also Bo-Katan herself because I don't really feel like her character has as much agency to her as like uh, Noah had mentioned for example I think her character is pretty understated in this season I feel like she as opposed to Din Djarin is a character that hap- that is a better example of things happening to them and just sort of reacting but not in a super clear way uh, and I'm sure we'll get to that uh, when we talk about um, Bo-Katan more but as far as Din Djarin I think that there are a lot of opportunities to explore 
other dimensions to the character as opposed to just this one thing. For example, his ability to wield the Darksaber and that being something that was addressed in uh, The Mandalorian as well as the Book of Boba Fett is the weight that it has and its connection to him. I think is a really fascinating plot point. Noah and I had gushed over that in season two and drawing connections between that and like Excalibur and all the King Arthur stuff. I think it's super rich. And then the fact that in this season, he's just kind of like, ah, you know, <laughs> just gives it to Bo-Katan. I just don't think is as interesting. And I think something similar could be said about the fact that he is called an apostate because he took his helmet off and he goes through this entire journey, you know, um, goes back to his old habits in a way like we saw in the book of Boba Fett where he just wants to sort of be this bounty hunter guns for hire sort of character um, which I just don't feel is um, as interesting as as you know creatively of an interesting choice uh, to go I found a lot of the choices with this character to be a bit regressive his relationship with droids is like in some episodes weirdly strained in some episodes it's not like he's pretty cool with having r5 and ig12 on the mission but he sees these battle droids as well as that poor guy at the bar and he like threatens to rip his throat out or whatever you know <laughs> like the the season just kind of goes back and forth in some ways that i felt was one a little regressive and, and and two a little inconsistent but what i did like about the characters i do think that he does go on this journey of understanding that there are multiple definitions of what is the way and understanding that it's not about do you or don't you take your helmet off who gets to sit by the fire um you know what markings do do you wear on your helmet it's more about honor and respect and and, and loyalty above above anything the that is is really important to uh, his character but uh no what do you what do you think about din Djarin and his journey in the season what really uh compelled you about his character uh, well i think at the beginning of this season one of the things that i you know had mentioned as we got into things for season three was you know, I, I wanted there to be a more defined, or maybe not more defined, but at least a growth of relationship between Dinjarin and Grogu. And we we obviously do get that. Um, there's much more substance to their to their pairing here in season three um, than the prior seasons, mostly because. Din Djarin starts to recognize that Grogu can be an asset, that he's not a burden. He's not, you know, he's not babysitting. He, you know, they're going on these adventures together and that Grogu is actively choosing to be a part of his adventures, a part of his life. Um, mm -hmm. So that, you know, building out that relationship there, I think is one of the strengths of this season. There's there's moments in every single episode that, that sort of serve that. Um, I think that one thing I was looking forward to this season that, I wonder if we're, you know, if we're maybe just not there yet, um, is the idea of Din learning more about Grogu and Grogu learning more about Din in this way of, you know, Grogu seems like the thing that would be his understanding of a much larger worldview. And we get a lot of that in season two. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it's fully explored to its potential, and obviously we're going in a completely different direction. With season two, you have the introduction of Ahsoka and Luke Skywalker as, you know, as Din Djarin is like, who the hell are you? Like, what is, <laughs> yeah. what is this? You know, well, he has no Well, clue. not only that, not to interrupt, but like he also views them as enemies. You know, right. he describes them as enemy sorcerers. So having that relationship and again, like another perspective, you know. That's and that's exactly where kind of I'm I'm going with this is you know 
I I wonder why there is not more weight put on Grogu's shoulders as uh, you know as a foundling that has chosen to be Mandalorian, but someone who comes from a completely different way of doing things, and it's just sort of all okay. Um, which is not to say that that rules necessarily contradict themselves in the way that the cult behaves, the way that they accept people, because obviously they say, well, no, a foundling is a foundling, and mm-hmm. that's kind of just the way that we do it. Um, but I feel like that would have been also an interesting perspective to kind of have is that Grogu comes from this long, ancient line of, of you know, of beings that are typically viewed as the enemy. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily need to be the focus, obviously, because we have a character like Bo-Katan. We have, you know, the Children of the Watch being put in opposition to the Night Owls and other, you know, groups of Mandalorians. So obviously that's there. Um, yeah. But, you know, having Grogu take a little bit of a back seat when that could have easily been explored as well, um, I think is interesting. I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing because, again, we can get to that point. That's not out of the question. Um, I think to to bring it back down from from general terms, I think for Dinjarn's character in general, um, I, I think that it's you know it's almost funny that that's not addressed for him, um, you know, it, it, at all in this in this season. As you know, someone who's saying, "Well, I'm going to adopt him. He's going to take the creed." Like it's you know, the end of the show is not the first time that he takes the creed, um, but you know that that Mandalorian, you know, this is the way side of things takes over, it takes precedence, uh, you know, over anything else. So mm-hmm. I guess that sort of makes sense. Why would, you know, why would Din, why would Din Djarin not trust Bo-Katan after she then, you know, proves that she bathed in the living waters kind of accidentally um, and hasn't removed her helmet, then yes, those rules still apply, you know, so technically she's still following the creed but you know as we learn that's not what's important so i think that that comes together in a way that feels really sequential and feels really thought out and i'm glad that we got to that point and i'm glad that it is stated like you guys had said like you know it doesn't need to be directly told but i'm glad we're at that point where for a character who and i've said this before for a character who this season is just a fly on the wall, we do get that perspective stated out loud. We do know his point of view on things. And so having that, I think, is really important moving forward to show that there is importance in the choices that a character like Bo-Katan can make or a character like the Armorer can make and how it impacts his worldview. I think there is a solid yeah. you know, tying together of things. Um, I think maybe the structure is just a little bit... It, it's different than I would expect. It's not a bad thing, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I, I love the the grouping of Dinjarin and Grogu and Bo-Katan, right? Because all three of them are Mandalorians, but are from entirely different backgrounds. Bo-Katan is a princess, is like a quote unquote like pure blood, born on Mandalore, raised on Mandalore. Uh, really has this perspective. Dinjarin is a foundling. He doesn't know shit about Mandalore. He's never been there. You know, he doesn't know what like the dark saber is. Like You've he never had pog soup. Come on, <laughs> exactly. Man. Exactly. 
exactly, right? exactly. Yeah, and yeah. you and I talked a lot about that moment too. And then you have like another removed character like uh, Grogu, who's not you know just a foundling, but is like an ex Jedi, used to be an enemy of the Mandalorians. So you, there's that shot in the uh, the uh, finale where they're all you know being protected by Grogu, all working together for this common goal. I really like that. It is it is a part of the season. I I I, I think it's it's certainly a choice to not really have it be a point of conflict from the other characters kind of build in on what I was saying about the children of the watch and kind of, they seem to be a bit more picky on who and who is and who isn't a Mandalorian. So uh, I, I, I thought that that was different, but no, you talked about it, the choices and, and, and Bo-Katan as a character, um, obviously someone who is being shown to be kind of, you know, really taking the reins, maybe not fully, but pretty substantially in this season. So uh, Frank, were you compelled by Bo-Katan in this character or maybe even what was your relationship uh, with her before? Were you excited to see her in this season? Yeah, I was really curious to see Bo-Katan at this stage in the Star Wars timeline, right? With the last time we see Bo-Katan, it's in the Clone Wars, the Siege of Mandalore, right? The the Republic's about to fall, right? Mm -hmm. Or is, you know, right? So... I'm curious what happens between that time and and where we where we pick up with her and you know she's in a bad bad place. Well, I guess well Rebels actually, right? right. So yeah. it was Rebels chronologically or release order I yeah. think it was. It was, it was, the, <laughs> it was the car alarm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, oh boy. Um but I think meeting up with Bo-Katan here and seeing that she's trying to build forces to retake Mandalore um, in season two, right? That's why she wants to get that light cruiser or whatever the... Yeah, she wants to light cruiser and also that transport when we... I think in the... Um, what was that? What was the name of that episode? The... Uh, from the... Eris. Yeah. The Eris. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, so we see her there and then you know, we meet up and then in the finale, all of that. And so... To see Bo-Katan, I was curious to see what, how has she changed? Is she still the same? Is she still, um, you know, gung-ho about retaking Mandalore? And then as as we see at the start of the season, it's, no, no, it's, it's, it's over. That dream is over. Like, that's not going to happen anymore. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a really, really interesting position to start off with her in this season. And then I thought it was great how the season progressed with her in terms of, I don't know if I can do this. Wait a minute. I just saw a mythosaur. What does that mean? And it took her some time to process it. And then she reveals it to the armor who I think, you know, would take such um, a sighting very seriously because, you know, they're, they're quote unquote hardcore. They go back to the old ways. Um, Mm -hmm. And then to see how, then she becomes more and more her old self, but also this more empowered to then want to go back to that dream of reclaiming Mandalore. I thought it was a really great progression. Now, some of the execution in terms of, I mean, the one, my one gripe was like, yo, armor, she just said she saw the mythosaur. You're just going to like, <laughs> they're there. And, but then like yeah. the, the next episode is just like, she saw the mythosaur people were taken back from Mandalore. Yeah. Like, Look, some of that it does feel disjointed, and it's like, how did you get from there to there? And and that's just, look, a decision was made. I don't know why they got there, how what dictated that kind of decision. It just is 
what it is. What's important to me is that that um, change happened. You know, we got we got to that point. And yeah, was it a little wonky? Sure, but I think we were, we were going to go there, right? We all wanted to go to that one place, right? Just the execution of it didn't sit particularly well, and that's that that happens various at various points throughout the season. That's just one example, right? Mm-hmm. So, but for Bo-Katan, um, I, I think she's an interesting character who has there's way more to explore with her. I feel like and. They were like laying little breadcrumbs. You know, they never mention Satine here, but she does mention her other family, right? And how, you know, she's a princess and she talking to, to Din about what Mandalore used to look like and be. And um, I like that it's it's not trying to give you the this complete picture. Because in a way, we if we are following Din Djarin... Like, he's not going to get everything in one fell swoop. You're not going to get a complete download of this person's history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they spend a lot of time together. But just because I spend a lot of time with someone all the time doesn't mean I know them extremely well. I've just spent a lot of time with them, and we have those shared experiences. I don't necessarily know all their history. So I like the fact that there's still way more to explore with her um, after this season, which I think is probably going to happen in season four. Um, I think it's, it'll be interesting to see. We, we can get into yeah. what we think season four is going to be, yeah. but um, I, I'm. For, I mean, it's also really easy to love this character when it's played by Katie Sackhoff. There is just mm-hmm. a, a natural gravitation of w- what what is this character thinking like, yeah. and because as much as I root for Bo-Katan, I'm also rooting for Katie Sackhoff, and that, and, it, and I think that's just a sign of good casting, right? And even when she was casted as the voice actor for Bo-Katan, and it made sense to them to bring her into live action as the voice, and now the the physical actor playing the part. Um, it worked out extremely well for them on their end, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, all of that said, um, I, I really am interested in this character learning. I think there's more levels to this character. Uh, there may or may not be. I don't know. I think there is, <laughs> but um, we'll, we'll we will have to see. Yeah, I, I am a big fan of the character as well. And going into the season, I think that was something that I was really looking forward to and tracking her journey through. Clone Wars and then into Rebels, I thought she was really propped up into this to go on this pretty transformative uh, spiritual journey here. And something I did really like about the character is she starts in a low place. She has like no confidence. Her entire little squad has abandoned her and she's just brooding in her castle, you know, and just kind of counting the days away and i love that dinjarin is the one to kind of pull her out of that and in his own journey towards redemption she is kind of taken along on that and then kind of has her own redemptive arc too you see hints of it i think uh, and we'll talk about favorite episodes the the minds of mandalore is such a great episode and i love that Both of them going to Mandalore is them directly confronting kind of like their biggest failure in their own eyes. And the fact that in order for Bo-Katan to reclaim Mandalore, she has to face that failure head on and that personal failure. And I love that she views it as, oh, I failed because I got the Darksaber because it was gifted to me by Sabine. I, I didn't earn it in combat. I didn't follow the rules. Something that, you know, Din Djarin is also kind of kicking himself over as I, oh, I didn't follow the rules. Now I'm in trouble, you know? And I love that she now has an appreciation at the end of the show that it is not about these 
uh, like a symbol, like the dark saber, something that I think is kind of the physical embodiment of something that is quite wrong with a lot of Mandalorian people is I want to be the leader. Okay. I'm going to kick your ass. And then now I'm the leader. You know, it's, it doesn't necessarily work that way. And I think that that's, what's gotten uh, the Mandalorians into um, a lot of trouble. And I think that uh, 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 Duchess Satine would probably have something to say about that as well. Uh, rest in peace. But I think that <laughs> Bo-Katan and, and her journey that she goes on this season, I think in broad strokes, I find to be really interesting. I just think it is in the execution. Like you talked about, Frank and in the details um, I think that I I understand the creative impulse to have things happen to her have her be more of a passive character but her strength relies in her uh, reactions rather than her actions I totally understand why somebody would be um, interested in, in writing that I just don't think it's done necessarily in a super compelling way I think it is a, a bit frustrating that a lot of the biggest moments for the character in the season don't happen as a result of her own actions it's just sort of given to her either on a technicality or the dark sabers taken away from her and crushed i just believe that it would be more powerful if she stands tall and says i don't need this to be a leader now i i know it can be a weapon it can be a tool like anything um but it's not a necessity it's not a crown that i have to wear i earned this i unified these people um i wish we could have seen that unification um been drawn out a bit more um but uh, as far as kind of the um, uh, uh, broad strokes and, and what I think the appeal of this show is a lot. I think that she has a lot of the best action in this. Um, I think that Katie Sackhoff plays the character um, a little bit more understated than she has, like in Rebels especially. I think in Rebels she has a bit more bite and spunk to her. And I think that she plays her a bit more downtrodden in this season. Uh, she plays her a little bit more... Um, uh, frustrated or having this sort of shadow of failure to her. Um, I, and I thought that that was a, a creative choice from her. Take like one look at any Katie Sackhoff interview and she has a deep knowledge and love for <laughs> yeah. this character. And I think that that really um, comes through in her performance. And these, between her character and herself, com complete opposite. Oh, for sure. It's just yeah. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like, holy cow. Yeah. Uh, so what did you think about Noah of uh, Bo-Katan in the season? I know uh, you and I are uh, big fans. Oh, we're, we're huge fans. And I think that that's kind of the draw of like I had mentioned, you know, knowing that we are really, you know, in this season, we're diving into this cultural kind of, you know, clashing of, of heads um, that, that, you know, her position in the eyes of in the eyes of someone like the children of watch or children of the watch um, or as we learn in the eyes of the other night owls or other groups of Mandalorians that she, you know, her, her guilt and her failure um, is, you know, is so expressly like everyone is telling her like, Hey, by the way, it's your fault. You're the reason whether or not that's true. Obviously, if we're talking about the children of the watch who, you know, you know, aren't taking fault for the splintering of the Mandalorians. And they're saying, oh, it's people like you that don't follow the rules. Nonetheless, mm -hmm. you know, she is to blame for a lot of these things or she is blamed for a lot of these things. And as a result, you know, feels the way that she feels and starts off this season the way that she does, which I think is really interesting. Um, you know, knowing that we're, you know, we're seeing a character that, what we get in season two is this level of conviction on, you know, on such a personal sense um, that mm -hmm. she has this almost personal vendetta um, besides anything else that she feels like she failed, uh, that it's her responsibility to make up for that failure. Um, 
and you know, sort of as we get, I think that you're right to kind of point out the mirroring of Din Djarin's redemptive journey and Bo-Katan's redemptive journey. Um, that for me, you know, it's I think it's interesting that that Din's redemptive journey is wrapped up so quickly, um, and that hers kind of leads to this myriad of, of events. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think that she, you know, her her strength here as a character that's you know that's wrapped up in this. It's interesting that she's the one that's pegged as, you know, she walks both worlds. Um, I guess I just like, not that I don't believe it, um, because obviously she does. It's sort of one of those things that's just kind of thrust upon her um, that she she didn't really choose to walk, you know, the way of the creed, um, you know, or the, the, the children of the watches, what they deem necessary, what they deem uh, appropriate or or whatever. Um but she does. And, um, you know, having yeah. her be that character in the place that she is in, I think is it's spectacular. It makes so much sense. Um, but I think that you're right, Garrett, that, you know, she has that ability to show her leadership um, without needing a symbol. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, if we're going to if we're going to say that she can unite Mandalore, if the armorer believes that she can unite Mandalore without the Darksaber, that doesn't matter. Um, Then I guess, you know, the biggest question is if we are believing that we're entering a new era of Mandalore as a culture and as a unified, you know, people, then, you know, needing to have the Darksaber nonetheless to bring in other groups of Mandalorians is a little bit regressive for me, but it makes sense in a way. I just wonder if there's a way to kind of get around that idea that apparently she tried, right? She tried to get people, you know, under her command and they were like, no, you kind of suck. You're the worst and we Mm -hmm. don't really like you. And, you know, she doesn't even have the dark saber when she approaches them. So, you know, then she's just given it to her so that she can, have these people under her command that, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I think that there's a way around that. I'm sure. Um, I understand the way that that kind of has to transpire for everybody to look at one person and say, you know what, actually I could, I could follow her. She is honorable. She's loyal. You know, she, she is courageous, but I do think that, you know, if we're going to have a character like the armorer who says, you saw a mythosaur? Okay, that changes things. And, you know, but that's separate from the dogma of the Children of the Watch, where you have the Night Owls that are like, no, he he holds the Darksaber, so he's the leader, right? You know, they still have those rules. Those, those you know, those stipulations are there and are still as strong with other groups of Mandalorians. So why not just say, I saw a mythosaur, and they would all be like, whoa, that's that's kind of interesting. Maybe a new era of Mandalore is upon us. Um, but that doesn't resonate as, as, as powerful as, well, she's the one with Excalibur. She's the one with the sword. Um, but I think that that, what that comes back to is why just hand it to her. Then she obviously is the most capable to wield it. Din Djarin knows it. The armorer knows it and she knows it, but she killed that bionicle lickety split. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? The, <laughs> the bionicle was worthy. He should have been the one to lead Mandalore uh, <laughs> with his little spider legs. Um, yeah. But I, I, I think it's interesting that, you know, she knows that she is capable of leading, 
but is hesitant to for all of the trauma that has happened, all of the all of the, you know, the events that have taken place that that tell her, yeah, you're capable of it. But are you, you know, are you really? Because look what happened. And, you know, that personal step in in saying I am capable. I not only am I capable, but I'm the one that is looked to for this. Um, feels like it would be, you know, the 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 cherry on top, right? The, just the last thing that her character needs to say, yes, she is confident in her abilities. Yes, she makes that conscious choice to be the one that people look to. Yes, she is the one that says, I deserve the dark saber because this time I sort of earned it, right? Um, you know, more more so than last time. And for her to take ownership of that leadership um, is something that I feel like really would have, you know, really tied everything together for her character. I think without it, it still resonates um, and it's still, you know, sort of in the bounds of what I would expect from Bo-Katan as, as a character within this, you know, yeah. new story. Um, so, you know, I think all in all, um, I mean, I, by far and away, she is my favorite character in this season uh, and favorite performance in this season. Um, so I think that, like, obviously, hats off to Katie Sackhoff and, hey, that kind of rhymed, and hats off to Bo-Katan. Um, but, you know, there are those little tiny execution things that, you know, I, I see it and I'm like, well, why, why didn't that just play out just a little bit different? Why didn't we go full tilt into this idea of her starting the season so you know, so averse to what's been happening, so hurt by what's been happening to making that conscious choice and, and actually standing up and saying, I know that I'm capable and I'm going to take ownership of it. There's just those tiny, tiny little things. I wish we could have gotten a moment with Ragnar where he like learns that Bo-Katan is part of the children of the watch. And he's like, she didn't even have to say the creed, man. Like <laughs> I got eaten by a giant bird. <laughs> um, I did want to ask, uh, and we don't have to go through everyone. Cause there obviously are uh, a lot of, uh, you know, people in the uh, playing in this season here, lots of supporting characters at play here. Uh, but I'll go around the horn and uh, ask, we'll start with you, Frank. Did you have any, uh, you know, favorites of the season that weren't Dinjarin or weren't Bo-Katan? Uh, characters? Yeah. Favorite? I mean... I don't know. I mean, in terms of favorites... See, fa favorites in, in Star Wars has always been a tough thing for me. Yeah, well, maybe just characters um, that you thought were, you know, particularly interesting or compelling in this season. Yeah, um... Hmm, great question. It is a really good question. I can uh, go to I think, uh, if you're if well, you need say, it, if like, you need time, I can go to Noah. No, I mean one one character that I think I was I think the most curious about was Paz Vizsla. Like, what's his his deal really? Mm -hmm. Like, how did he join the you know the Children of the Watch? He, he's from House Vizsla. How did what happened there? Like to me, that's that's like a more of a I don't know if that's really suited for the show. It's more of like, a, hey, I would love like a comic or a book on that or just some other backstory I could read up on Paz because that, that to me is interesting. I, it's not necessarily needed for the show, just to me, for me personally of like, hmm, I would love to know more about this character. Same goes for the armor. Like, yeah. I would love to know the backstories on them. Does the show need to tell me that? Absolutely not. I like the way it is within the show, but in terms of like lore and... Um, just backstory to have, you know, 
and on, and on a selfish level, I would love to know that. Um, I did think actually Christopher Lloyd's character was interesting. I would love to know, like, there's just things like, what was he doing during the Clone Wars? Like, what was he, was he, you know, following up on Dooku's, like, speeches and stuff? Like, what was he, like... He was at every rally, like, you know? Yeah, he was at every <laughs> rally, handing out hats and t-shirts and stuff like that, make, maybe. Make uh, Cyrano great again. <laughs> or or Sereno, make Sereno great again. Great again. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think those those characters um, stood out to me. Um yeah, yeah, right off the bat, yeah. Yeah, um, there are obviously some characters in this that I was really excited to see, and we'll save those for, like, you know, cool fist-pumping, like, fan moments. Uh, but I think, as far as, like, substantive characters in this season, uh, I got to shout out our boy Carson Teva. Uh, I always oh, love yeah. seeing him show up, and... Um, it's it's unclear whether or not he will be the ranger of the new republic or of how's that exactly gonna work or you know um i had sent noah from uh friends of the show triad of the force they had made this great meme of you know it's now independent contractor of the yes, new republic which, which, well. which is great. really really funny so who knows if carson teva is going to slide into that uh you know cara dune sort of you know role <laughs> i guess that so. remains to be seen who was uh, also re- at every rally just saying <laughs> uh well done well done thank you uh, yeah. thank you you're welcome yeah. uh, carson teva is is really great though and i uh love seeing him pop up into this i also think that he plays an interesting role as far as where this uh, series could go in the future which uh, we'll certainly get into but yeah every time he uh showed up on screen i just had a big smile to that extent then elia kane is another one yeah. because what are we going to do with her? Yeah, because for sure. That's very, you have Carson Tev and Elia Kane. They are, that's them, right? Yeah. They're the ones that are going to butt heads, I feel like. Yeah. So that's interesting. What about, uh, what about, you know, a favorite uh, supporting characters in the show? Uh, I mean, Carson Tev is obviously a great pick because we get a lot there. Um, I think that, you know, episode three is, is difficult for me because there's, a lot of there's a lot of little nitpicks we talk about you know as we have gotten more accustomed to what disney plus shows look like whether it's marvel or you know or star wars or even willow um you know what what do things look like we've we've griped a lot about the tiny little things um and so episode three for me is is one that i feel like upon a rewatch knowing what we know now with everything contextualized and this is something that you know we went over a lot was episode by episode was just that hope that that by the end of things it'll all be contextualized and i think that this season you know, if I were to go back and rewatch things, I think that things would feel a little smoother for me. Um, so looking back on episode three, I I think that Dr. Pershing's role is one that is really, really interesting. Not that mm-hmm. he as a character necessarily does anything or is put in any situations that that I feel like are, oh, let's explore that or or I need to know what he thinks about this or that. Just the idea that we have begun building out a world of what the New Republic looks like and how it, you know, all things that we that we see may not be as, as you know, rainbows and butterflies as we would like to believe that, you know, even in starting, obviously going with with other you know, auxiliary media that the New Republic is not necessarily as sturdy as we would hope it would be. Um, but a character like Dr. Pershing has these personal convictions and has these, you know, these desires for his for his his intellect and using his abilities, you know, to to redeem himself and ultimately getting caught up in this grand conspiracy that that doesn't turn out well for him but mm-hmm. knowing that through his eyes we see a lot of this world um, that 
that we can sort of take and move into whatever, you know, Rangers of the New Republic is going to end up being or whatever Ahsoka looks like, whatever the movie looks like, that this all started with his journey through that. I think that his episode, episode three, is is one that you know, builds out the world in a way that I am really satisfied with in a lot of places. Um, I would say for the most part, really satisfied with. It's a great episode that has a lot of callbacks to, you know, to other media, whether it's, you know, George Lucas's other projects um, like THX um, or, you know, what we can sort of get from knowing where we were at in the prequels and in the, you know, and in the original trilogy um, and what we'll see in the sequel trilogy. Um I think through his lens is something that that is really, really valuable now with everything in context, um, because I was pretty lukewarm on that episode um, mm-hmm. as a whole. Like I said, lots of like little nitpicks and things that just really didn't line up. And I could see that, you know, I could see ways that it could line up. But I was like, uh, I just don't think that that's what the show wants to do. Um, and now having everything in context, I sort of. I, I think that there's a lot there to be explored. So for me, Dr. Pershing is, is a character that is his episode is I think more important than we might've given, given it credit for initially, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I, I, I think it's important to bring up that and, and how different episodes can sort of uh, change in context. So uh, be thinking of, you know, what were some of your favorite episodes uh, in this season? But before we do that, you know, Star Wars has to have the war part in it. And of course, there has to be like lots of pew pew and action. And boy, does this season have a lot of it. So, Frank, did you have any favorite uh, moments of action or uh, uh, action set pieces, dogfights, you know, hand to hand combat sequences? is you know just what was your favorite pew 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 moment <laughs> oh my absolutely i think my favorite one of the season was the, the opening of um the episode you're just talking about the convert mm-hmm. um that whole sequence and then it really basically ending with bo home getting or palace whatever yeah. getting bombed i'm like oh my god and then we go to course and i'm like whoa this is great and i'm like oh we're, wow we've really shifted gears here but i think that was one of my favorite moments of Pew pew pew. Um, I think also, um, um, the the uh, finale, season three finale, the whole clashing in the cave with the Mandalorians mm-hmm. and the Super Commandos or whatever they are, just yeah, jetpack versus jetpack. I mean that 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 whole thing. Look, the armor just kicking ass like <laughs> with it oh in the air like that. Yeah. I mean that's just oh great. And then I think probably. For a third one, would have to be Bo-Katan fighting the um, the mech down in in the mines. Oh yeah, that whole sequence, so cool, so cool. Yeah, I think that this season it does something that the other seasons have struggled with, and that's the uh, you know the the space dogfight battles that we get there are so many great ones the one that you had mentioned uh the convert is really really great um i think it is in the apostate episode or i could be wrong it might be might be the minds of mandalore whatever one where they first encounter the pirates i, uh, I think the it's the apostate. Episode, yeah, the apostate yeah when they yeah. when they first encounter the pirates oh, and, yeah, and the and asteroids and stuff like and he's just yeah, like yeah, yeah. comes out of nowhere That's like right. a shark was was really really sick uh but the entire third act of the pirate was just like some of the best action that we've gotten in this entire series uh it's so swashbuckling and so you know uh so fun and has that sense of adventure one of the pirates says i'm asty and i'm just like yeah <laughs> you know 
know, like that's all I need. You know, it's and then you have Gorian Shard, who is just one of the weirdest of the weird. You know, Gorian Shard. Yeah, it's so great, man. Yeah. It's so great. I need an action figure. Uh, it's just, oh, it's, it, it's so so cool. Um, so yeah, I I think that it's it's hard to pick just one. I'll say I'll I'll, I'll pick a a, a best like hand to hand then I'll do a best dog fight. I would say my favorite dog fight if I'm not picking yours uh, Frank it would be uh the you know the aerial sequence uh, at the end of the pirate with uh Bo and Din. Mm. Uh and then I would say um as far as hand to hand combat uh man it's tough but I would say the biggest smile that this season gave me. I don't know if it's like technically the best action scene, um, but Kellerin back showing up, man, is just oh, like yeah. that counts. It's yes. so cool. Like it, you know, being a fan of Jedi Temple Challenge and uh, an even bigger fan of Ahmed Best as as a person, as an actor, as a creator, uh, growing up in the the Jar Jar generation, and I mean that both in <laughs> I mean that in both like the loving Jar Jar generation. Well, you know, yeah. I I grew up. With, I know with, totally, totally, totally with just that wild film and. Yeah. And really like loving that character and then you know growing older and then people are like no he sucks and then you're like yeah he sucks you know and then coming back around <laughs> and realizing uh you know kind of what george had really intended there and uh, i think a, a lot of fans oh um we uh, all had a character arc with how much we love George. yeah <laughs> and i think a lot of star wars fans uh, oh ahmed best uh, uh many apologies yeah. uh and so having him come back in this triumphant return uh was just it was great. You know, it was like one of my favorite fan moments of, uh, totally. of Star Wars this past year. So I would say probably those two, if I had to pick just one. Well, are yeah. we, we going to get to favorite episodes? Uh, we, we will get there. We will get okay, there. Okay, I want I I to get Noah's uh, favorite yeah, yeah. Uh, action moments before we do. Well, so you kind of... Not not that you stole my answer or anything, but um, the the pirate as as an entire episode, we talked about this um, um, when when we were reviewing the episode, that for me, the ground combat uh in that episode for me is really like it's not it's not super special um it's sort of your typical star wars ground combat feels a lot mm -hmm. like um it feels a lot like the the combat in in uh rogue one on jetta where it's all very like peeking around corners and oh there's a guy up there and you know a big explosion takes out a couple people um you know it, it's not super special it's not anything new to star wars but it's something that's new to the Mandalorian and in a sense that like it's so tactical and it's so, you know, uniform and organized in a way that I feel like complements what they're attempting to do with the story that, mm -hmm. you know, this squadron is under Bo's command and, you know, and, and carries out this mission to, you know, it's, it's full conclusion and does it well. Um, I, I feel like it's, well represented that she is a great leader through this scene which is something that really made me happy obviously we've gotten you know whether it's season one mandalorian where we have you know the fight in in navarro with all the other mandalorians or it's you know towards the end with the other stormtroopers and whatnot yes you still have stuff like that but the fact that we can take an action set piece like you know what we see on the ground level in the pirate um and utilize it for the stories you know forwarding i feel like that really shines because you get other stuff that's you know that's what would you imagine you know would be combat where everyone has jetpacks and flamethrowers and wrist rockets and grappling hooks and yeah. we do get that you know we get that at the end of the the season and so that's great you know i don't feel like we missed out on the potential of what a Mandalorian unit can do and what kind of damage they can deal. I feel like, you know, 
the ground combat in the pirate really stands out to me as, as something that's utilized really well. And not only that, but it also is a very fun, like long extended sequence of, of just some good choreographed, you know, some good old fashioned pew pew, you know? Yeah. 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 It's really got like a hurt locker sort of style to it, to where they're checking corners Mm -hmm. and it is uh, super, super tactical. But I did want to go around and ask uh, about favorite episodes. I have a pretty clear winner for me, but I'm curious where you, uh, where you guys go. Mine, mine is definitely the pirate. Um, that's why I kind of like left out the pew pew part from the pirate oh, yeah. in the, in my initial, cause I was, cause well, I, the, I'm the so pirate, sorry to take your answer, uh, <laughs> retroactively. <laughs> you can have, you can have, we can have all the same answers. I don't for care. Sure. Um, uh, the, the pirate to me is, and for a lot of what you were saying, know about the, the battle, um, it felt very like call of duty sort of, you know, kind of like that tactical kind of feel to it and a little video, little video gamey, whatnot. Sure. Mm-hmm. But this is star Wars. After all, we're going to get a little, not the little, only little... video game moment in this season. Like Noah and I it's had true, mentioned, there true. are a few, <laughs> there's a few. Yes. Uh, in the finale. Especially. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the pirate to me, because of Gorian Shard, the pirates, uh, he's above you, he's below you, he's above you. And then, you know, it just, yeah, the whole thing, man. And it's just the visuals of them dropping down, um, the whole, the whole Navarro sequence, so fun. Um, I thought, man, it was great. I just, I love that, that episode. And, um, uh, yeah, it's this the one I've watched the most. Oh, yeah. Um, going back, when I go back through the series, it's the one I go, one more time yeah, yeah. Uh, i think any episode with gory and shard is going to be pretty high up on my list Hell but yeah. um i think my favorite episode and i think an example of this show doing what it does um to its like fullest potential is the minds of mandalore um hmm. I think that that episode surprised the hell out of me. The fact that in the second episode, Din Djarin is already on Mandalore. He's already been in the living waters. Oh yeah. There's a mythosaur down there. Like there <laughs> yeah. was so many twists and turns around each corner. You've got the weird bionicle looking guy in the basement, which was just like so weird and strange and like super prequely too. like little Absolutely. general grievous spawn mm-hmm. down there. It's so strange. Um, it's also got great action. Uh, the uh, you had mentioned Bo-Katan wielding the dark saber, and you know, and the the that great shot of her, and then the little wrist shield and everything was just so so cool. She slides underneath oh, man. the mech too. Oh, and man. Just, no, chef's yeah, kiss right there. Yeah, and I just love how each of the characters are going on different journeys. You also have Grogu who is like learning to kind of be on his own. Dinjarin is like teaching him stuff about how to you know, use the star map, how to pilot a ship, like the importance of knowing where you're at in the galaxy. I thought that each character had like significant growth in that episode. There's also conversations about what it means to be a Mandalore with the pog soup. Like Noah had mentioned that little conversation is a perfect example of what you were talking about, Frank of like, yeah, you could just, show us you know you could just kind of have an opportunity to read between the lines and have some subtext but i think that this is a great middle ground to where it's not a um outright explanation of the events that are happening but it is an opportunity for these characters to have a differing perspective and then what truths come out of that conversation so i thought the minds of mandalore had like all of the best things that this show can possibly have in just in a perfect little pog soup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, what about I, you? Enough? I agree with that. Yeah. I, I, I obviously, you know, 
when we're talking about just solid episodes, um, I, I, I do think that The Minds of Mandalore is probably the best episode, um, in my opinion, just as a whole thing, as what it does for forwarding the story, as what it does for setting up where we're going. Um, I, I Obviously, I want to have a different <laughs> answer. Um, sure. I think, and this is like, this is something that has grown on me that I've thought a lot about. And I always bring it up on the show that like when other people hate Star Wars things, it fuels my admiration <laughs> for Star Wars things. <laughs> like I love, I love watching people hate things because I'm like, man, you just, you just don't get it. You just don't get it. And I'm not saying that this episode is perfect in any way. I have plenty of issues with this episode, but I do think that uh, I do think that the episode "Guns for Hire" deserves a little bit more credit. And <laughs> oh and it's not. It, listen, listen, Gary. Because <laughs> I've thought about this. I've thought about this. That like we we sort of know we can get from just watching this episode that you know it really is. A lot of people have been, been saying this that it really is just a live action Clone Wars episode. It kind of just is. The way that it's structured, the way that it's written, the way that the characters perform, the way that this story sort of just kind of unfolds and it really doesn't make any sense from the beginning and it sort of just wraps up at the end, like it's just done. Um, and and my issues are, you know, the, the pacing of everything. I had, I do have some performance issues. That's just, wait, that sounded, that sounded really yeah, bad. I was about to say, it happens <laughs> with age now. It happens to the best of us. Wait, hold on. <laughs> One in three men or something like that. Um, I have issues with uh, character performance <laughs> um, within this episode. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we talked a little bit about the regression of, of Din Djarin's character and how he treats droids and whatnot. Um, but there's so many things in this episode that just shine out as like, yes, of course, somebody that adores the Mandalorian would hate this episode, uh, you know, would hate this episode for because that's just not their cup of tea. But clearly there's direction behind this episode. I think that the thing that detracts from it the most is that it is placed so poorly within the season and that's just just something that has to that's just how it exists you know it's not something that i think that i will come around to or i can change my perspective on um but being placed so close to the end and feeling like just a screeching halt you know as, as we're nearing the end of the season it feels rough but i think that it deserves a little bit more credit um so you know not my favorite episode not the best episode but it deserves a shout out from me because, you know, if more people hate it, then the more I'm going to love it. And I think that there are a lot of <laughs> things to love uh, about about that episode just in general. That's so good. Uh, I, I, I can't believe that came out of nowhere. <laughs> came hey man, out of absolutely I'm trying out of so field. hard to be positive. And that was like that was just the final push. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, before we go ahead and like take a look towards the future, um, as far as you know, we're all big Star Wars fans. Uh, was there a moment in this season that, as a fan, you were just like, you know, that just grinning, taken back to just being a, a child? Because I think that there's there's one moment in here that got me excited for the future, but also I just couldn't really believe that I was seeing it. Uh, what about you, Frank? I, I think. It's it's Grogu and the force blocking of the fire. Like to me, I was such a a beautiful like sequence there, um, because it has 
Yeah, like Din, Bo, and Grogu. Like, yeah, they're the three mm-hmm. of this of the season. Sure, Bo a little more than than the other two, but like to me, um, I just really, I mean, also, honestly, all of Grogu stuff in the finale, man, yeah. just I I love that he that he has now gotten to a point um, in his abilities to feel like a contributor um, to Din and and as a partner, and Din feels the same way about Grogu. Um, and, uh, but to me that Grogu shielding kind of a call back to the first season a little bit mm-hmm. when the great egg goes off and they're in the cantina, whatever, um, you know, kind of shielding that, but this time it's more, it's more controlled. It's more focused. He's more mature. Yeah. Um, he's more sure of him, of himself and his powers. And, uh, I, and you know, and then after that he doesn't like you know, knock out for 30 hours. He, he, he takes a seat. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, he's, he's at a level now where it's, it's like, he's relearned everything that he kind of shut himself off from or forgot, you know? And, yeah. um, I, I, yeah, that's, that was that part really It actually second viewing of that actually got me a little emotional. Mm-hmm. And first time I was like, hell yeah. Second time I was like, dang, man, this is crazy. <laughs> a sadder <laughs> hell yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I love that this show has sh- like subtly planted these scenes of growth with Grogu in his regards to like how he uses the force, right? Like at the beginning of the mm-hmm. season and especially into, um, I believe that would be season one is like he's using the force for like personal gain or he's even getting into like a little dark side stuff to where at the beginning of the season he's just like spinning his chair and he's taking candy and whatever and then (laughs) at the end of it he's using it for knowledge and defense you know and he's defending his family and defending uh you know the 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 light so to speak so i i really like that Uh, the moment that i was talking about it totally is just an example of like the leo once upon a time in hollywood the Whoop, 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 you know like the point but <laughs> my god seeing zeb on screen as a huge oh, rebels yes. fan was like the most just oh what you know like i couldn't believe i was seeing it. it's so nonchalant the way he just comes on screen <laughs> just starts yeah. talking it's not like no and i had talked about it's not like uh I think I know a guy and then this dramatic, you know, like it's, he literally just <laughs> right. saddles up to the bar and I was just like, oh shit, it's Zeb, you know? So that moment as being a Rebels fan just got me really excited uh, for Ahsoka, obviously, but seeing how cool he looked, he looks so, so, so cool. Uh, and seeing Alasat in live action, especially after, you know, Jedi, Sir, uh, Jedi Fallen Order and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. It was, ah, it was great. It is an example of like, Hey, look, it's that thing that I realize and I, yeah. I know, but Man, Zeb, you can't really beat it. Uh, what about you, Noah? That, well, that's the thing is like, you know, you and I are both insanely, insanely huge Rebels fans. And that mm-hmm. that just really got my goat. Uh, that was, you know, I have the pleasure of, of watching this by myself. Obviously, you know, free from most distractions. And I'm not somebody that reacts uh, to, to a lot of things. <laughs> but when I'm watching this by myself, there's no need for me to be screaming. There's no need. Uh, but I end up doing so anyways um and that that's just one of those moments that just elicits that reaction for me um which this show you know we've seen a lot of what it can do when it plays on that like ah that thing oh my gosh um we've seen a lot of it and i think that this season 
you know, stripping that back and, and taking it down a notch is really, I think, more effective. Um, obviously, we knew this was happening because it's in the tr- in the, the teaser and in the trailer, but having uh, more Anzellans uh, was like, yes. Oh, yeah, so yeah. cool. Yes. So cool. Like, that's Some just... of the best humor in the season by Absolutely. far. No squeeze. Yeah. Absolutely. No squeeze, bad baby. <laughs> it's so fucking funny. So that, like, for me, it's, it's yeah, it, it is those little things um, that, that really kind of change how you how you you know how you view this thing where it's yeah you can just take it in or if you're people like the three of us you know you can oh my god that you know the purgle yeah. the purgle oh, dude yes. dude come oh on my gosh. I, I remember seeing that and I expected this to lead into Ahsoka which we'll get to uh, but I if I'm not a betting man but if I was I would never in a million years have assumed that our first like hey look that Ahsoka thing was fucking space whales like are you kidding me like it was so so cool what a surprise yeah and and the the fact that they don't call attention to it or have to explain it that they're just like yeah it's there you know yeah. um so that i it works whether you know what it is or totally. you don't exactly. yeah. it's just something like whoa yeah, it's beautiful exactly. and mystical yes. and kind of unknowable yeah for mm-hmm. sure um, um I, I think for for me just as a as a one favorite moment um mm-hmm. hearing matthew wood's voice um as, so as a battle droid Dude, yes. that's it Hell takes yeah. the cake uh because i'm so excited for for jedi survivor and getting more of that but i've oh, i've man. definitely missed I've missed those spunky battle droids, man. I've missed it so much. It's so good. Yeah. Oh, God. Jedi Survivor. Don't. Ooh, ooh, it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> oh, yeah, baby. Uh, speaking of things that are coming, I don't want to talk too much about Ahsoka in regards to like, we've seen the trailer and I don't want to get too, you know, deep into those weeds. So I will just say, how do you think this season and the events of this season will impact things going forward specifically, whether that be what we're seeing in Ahsoka, what we're seeing in what f- was formerly known as Rangers of of the new republic what we might see in a season four uh frank what about you how do you see the events of season three kind of rippling out well i think with the the death i'm prepared to say death of gideon mm-hmm. um i think he truly i think he is like is there a chance that he's alive yeah he didn't sure. have a mustache I, bro. I, I, he didn't have his mustache <laughs> <Get out of laughs> he right. possibly have shaved. So no. <laughs> right right uh, no, I do think he's dead. And so what that does in my eyes is it shifts the focus away from Gideon's part of the Imperial Remnant mm-hmm. and focuses the shift without having to wonder what's Gideon up to. And sure, there's the other eight or whatever people in the Shadow Council uh, out there, but it shifts the focus to Thrawn. And I think um, that's what this season ultimately did was like, we're wrapping up the Gideon Remnant part. We're taking that off the board now because when we go into Ahsoka, it's we're playing a new game and the stakes are going to be a lot bigger. We're talking galactic stakes mm-hmm. now. It wasn't just getting going after, you know, the Mandalorians and getting rid of them because he has a personal vendetta. It's Thrawn and his threat to the New Republic, to the galaxy at large, and Ahsoka and whoever joins her on her journey, Sabine and Hera and all that, Chopper. Um, Hell yeah, brother. They're going to be... A, yeah, they're going to be along <laughs> for the ride or on this adventure in some form or fashion. Yeah. And uh, I, I think really that's because cause if you go if you go into Ahsoka and Gideon's still alive, you're like, well, what about Gideon? I, I, I think they want to make sure the focus is, nah, it's Thrawn. Yeah. It's Thrawn. Don't worry about, don't worry about the, what happened with Gideon because he's gone, you know. 
Yeah, I think as far as what we see um, eventually playing out here, I guess we can just kind of go down the line. Um, Rangers of the New Republic, I, I, I believe the project is officially dead. Now that uh, we have Din Grogu as well as Din Djarin, uh, who are kind of going forward as these guns of hi- guns for hire, I didn't necessarily see it as a happy ending for these characters like some people did. They were kind of like, oh, great, they're on their little you know, farm and uh, their little house, and Grogu's playing with frogs, and now they're just going to... They looked happy to me, Gary. Hey, I'm know. just saying, I, 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 I hope for more. I, I hope the same for the Bad Batch, and I hope the same for Din Djarin. Oh. I don't see the ideal version of these characters to just go wherever somebody points them and then just sort of be this hammer, so to speak, especially so. And Noah and I discussed it and I'm trying not to get frustrated, but I think that this season spent so much time painting the new Republic as not being infallible, the being people that are trying to, yes, carve this path forward but are not understanding the impact or the reasons why the galaxy was the way it was i think that there's a lot of real world comparisons that you could take there as far as you might have this government this these group of people who may claim to be taking things in a positive direction however when you blatantly and purposefully ignore the events of the past what does that do for a society and i don't necessarily feel super comfortable with them being in charge of who needs to be taken out what you know what direction to point Dinjarin and saying go get that guy you know i think that that spells trouble for these characters so i'm uh, i'm curious i'll say to uh see where that goes um and i think for uh, as, as far as the ahsoka of things um i don't expect this season to really impact that much at all i think the only sort of crumbs that we see in this leading towards ahsoka are obvious ones like zeb you know he's working for the new republic he's going to be um a pilot um i think the most kind of um uh, uh, uh foreshadowing that we see in this show is actually in last season in regards to thrawn i don't really see season three leading into that a, a, a ton. I think that Din Djarin is and and Grogu are put in a place of, you know, when we're watching Ahsoka being like, man, where's Mando in this? He's like, yeah, he's off doing other stuff. Like he's not in a perilous, you know, uh, dangerous situation. He's just taking jobs. He's doing what he's best at. Um, but I think with Ahsoka, I think that's going to be much more of a force led spiritual sort of journey for for her and less of the swashbuckling gunslinging sort of um, Western motifs that we see a a, a lot in the Mandalorian. Um, As far as season four, it'll come down the road. Um, I know that uh, Lucasfilm has a lot on their plate right now, um, but I think that we are definitely going to be picking back up with uh, Din Djarin, just kind of in this position, this in this stasis. I don't see Moff Gideon becoming a threat. I don't see... Um, uh, the dark saber coming back. I think that its destruction is very purposeful. I think it's very symbolic. However, and I say this with a caveat, I've been wrong before. You know, I felt like certain plot points were in, uh, going in one direction, and okay, Moff Gideon is done now. We're gonna move on to this other thing. Um, but I've been wrong before. I would love uh, to you know, continue on this path and exploring other ideas. I don't feel the need for Moff Gideon to come back, especially with the shadow council and all of them being present. I don't feel the need for the dark saber to come back, but again, I've been wrong before. So uh, what do you think, Noah? Well, I think just bouncing off of that last point that you had, I think that, you know, 
the the purpose of Moth, Moff Gideon being around at all, and the purpose of of Doctor Pershing being included in this season, is really tying together a lot of events that will culminate in the sequel trilogy stuff. You know, and I don't want to be I don't want to be a reductionist and say that you know that a lot of these ideas are just to justify what happens in episode nine, but it clearly gives sort of an answer, whether it's here or in the Bad Batch, that that those things take place for that reason of sort of building out the larger story of why did this happen and how did it happen, who was in on it, you know, mm-hmm. what led to all these things. So I, I think I would hope that, yeah, that we're, we're done with that. We've got a clear, clear enough answer sort of and that the Shadow Council takes that, role as you know what is the what is the you know the empire trying to do in the wake of you know what happened in return of the jedi um i think for me you know the the most difficult thing for me to get over is knowing that we have a movie coming and you know for for me whether it's going to be whatever we see in season four or whatever we see in ahsoka or the book of boba fett even right knowing that there is this idea of some epic, you know, climactic, huge coming together of these stories. Mm-hmm. I struggle to see a way that that all of these things come together naturally in the sense that if I'm looking at season three of great, the Mandalorians are, are you know, where they want to be. They are living how they want to live and they are, they're making their own way forward doing this thing. What is the thing that is going to threaten that? I don't know. Could be a lot of things. Could be Thrawn. Could be whatever. Could be the New Republic. Even mm-hmm. uh, it, it, you know, it, it's totally up to the creators. Now, if the question is throughout Ahsoka and and season one of Ahsoka, what is the threat there? If it's Thrawn, you know, obviously. Um, if it's other characters that we don't know a, a whole lot about yet, then great, sure. Um, th- the issue for me is how do I see those two things? coming together in a sense of whatever the Mandalorians are facing as their threat is going to tie to whatever Ahsoka is facing as her threat, or is it just going to be Thrawn's back and the whole galaxy is, is, you know, is at risk. The, the, the freedom of the galaxy is at risk again, and everybody feels a sense of responsibility, Mandalorians and ex Jedi included, I just don't know. So for me, you know, season four of The Mandalorian, whatever we're going to do, I'm sure is going to be a a logical choice in terms of where we continue with the story of Bo-Katan leading uh, Mandalore, or if we drop that and just say we're going to focus on, you know, taking out more Imperial remnants and going on adventures and Grogu's going to get, you know, his own blaster or whatever, you know, sure, totally. I will be down for whatever. Um, I just know that post season four, likely post season four, we we have to get a movie where these things all make sense in a way that for me, I don't see it yet. And maybe it's just because I don't have that foresight of, of somebody that, that has the greater plan. But as a star Wars fan, I like to imagine that I can sort of piece these things together and say, Oh, I could see where they could go with this for me. I can't right now, which is not a bad thing. It's just, I'm it, you know, it, it concerns me in a way that as a fan, I hope that things work out, you know, not in a sense that I don't think they know what they're doing or I, I have no faith in, in Lucasfilm or, or Kathleen Kennedy or Dave Filoni even just that I hope I hope that they have a plan. I hope they figure out what they're doing, because whatever they do, it's it's 
they clearly want to make it all come together. And for me, I don't see it yet, but I could just be blind. Who knows? Yeah, uh, definitely time will tell. Obviously, Ahsoka is going to reveal lots of very important things. Um, but uh, until uh, we get there, do you guys have uh, any final thoughts before we uh, wrap up our conversation or last points of uh, insight? Frank, uh, uh, we can uh, start with you. Um, you know, actually, I want to go back to the regression of Din real quick, just real quick. Sure. Uh, in terms of like the droids and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um I know it, it seemed like people were like, hey, hey, he's cured. He's cured. He has no qualms with droids anymore. IG-11, blah, blah, blah. He's great. But I think it's okay in your um, maturation to have some uh, stumbles along the way. Like some things are just going to trigger you, whether it's, you know, uh, battle droids or whatnot. Like sometimes that stuff is just going to trigger you mm-hmm. and you're not completely, you're working through it. You're over it. Like you're cool with R5. You're cool with IG-11, right? You're cool. You're cool with um, play motto and like her droids, you know, because he's gained a level of there's, there's, there's trust has been built there. Like I can trust you as a person. You've asked for these droids. Cool. Uh, IG-11. We've been through stuff together. R5. All right. You can come along. Play is going to basically, you know, I, he's, that to me was like an actual uh, progression of where he is with relationship with droids. But then when you get back to, you know, when he gets on, what's it called? Plazier 15 with all the battle droids, right? Yeah. It's like, and then, and then in the droid bar, well, yeah, he's still on edge from knocking over battle droids. Right. And so it's like (laughs) people, I think we're like, well, wait, what did, no, he, I think he still has, I don't think that erases any of the progress he made. He made it just that, once in a while, you're gonna fall off the horse, and then you get back on it, and then guess what? In the finale, he's kind of on R five to download some max to help him through. So like, there's gonna there. I think it's okay to see stumbles along the way, as well as as long as I think as this character as Dennis, he's progressing and still forming. You know, he's not as he doesn't have as much animosity towards droids as he used to. It's just sometimes. Things going to set you off and sure. it's okay. Yeah, yeah. That's all I'm good. That's all I, I was like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that. it's yeah. definitely a good point to make that like in a real world, you know, uh, growth is not a linear process and that, you know, sometimes you're going to have better days than others, especially in regards to like mental health. I think that that's totally valid and, and a good point to make, Frank. I think my frustration is for me, it, it comes in a season where that's not the only regressive quality about Din Djarin in this and that. I think one, it's not necessarily like directly addressed. He doesn't really like pay penance for like threatening the bar droid. I think I would have preferred that to be instead of like a regressive moment for him, he now has to face that growth that he has made and directly point it towards those battle droids, people that have caused him a lot of trauma, people who killed his family, presumably, and people, or not people, but these things that are the root cause of this um, uh, this uh, kind of you know bend that he has. Um, I think that that would have been really compelling um, if it was just focused towards that. I think the fact that it is coming in an episode that overall is a, a, a bit jokier, I think doesn't maybe give it uh, as much of the seriousness that it, it definitely could uh, sure. be given. But yeah, totally valid point to bring up for sure. Yeah. And, and obviously even on top of that, you know, 
knowing that, like you said, with, with different setbacks, that comes off the back of, of the finale of season two with, with the Dark Troopers, where like that's you know, <laughs> yeah. just another example of, of ways that, that droids can, you know, can affect his, his life, the people around him. And, and so it's, it is interesting to view it as sort of just kind of this repeated trauma through growth, right. Is, is these, these triggers. Um, yeah, I, I, I would definitely, I, I do think that that's valid. Yeah. I, I, the most that I've seen, you know, sort of people talk about is just saying like, I thought we were done with this whole thing. Like I thought we were past it, you know? And, and I, I, I think there's maybe some, you know, validity to that. Just knowing that like this season's just not about the, his interaction there or the, you know, how he handles himself post things that have happened in his life. It's sort of just a left swing out of nowhere. Um, that, you know, he's like, you know me, I hate droids. Uh, and Bo-Katan's <laughs> like, okay, sure. You know? So, sure. you know, I think that there's there's that part of it, but looking at it through the context, like I said, even coming off the back of season two is I think that that's valid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at the same time, he's also trying to crack the case, so it's like <laughs> Good cop, bad come cop, on, you know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, it re- that really is uh, the also, energy. Also, if, if we didn't get that, then we wouldn't get Matthew Wood being like, "Hey, stop kicking the droids." Yeah. So, it's good. so good, so good. It's, yeah. Oh my god, yeah, you really shouldn't do that. Exactly. Yeah, it, it, okay. just, you know what? Yeah. I'm I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. Yeah. <laughs> Everything is uh, forgiven in this season. But yeah, yeah. Uh, Frank, thank you so much for coming on, man. Yeah. Uh, I know that Noah and I, we like definitely had a lot of thoughts in in regards to this season and, and really struggling with things. And I know that as, as uh, broadcasters, we both really like to find the joy and find the things uh, in, in, in what we love. And I think that this season was kind of a test for us of being like, okay, totally. you, you preach it. Now you got to practice it. So yeah. um, I really appreciate <laughs> you coming on here and being able to have like a really civil and I believe to be uh, insightful conversation. So thanks so much for coming on. For man. sure. Yeah. Thank you, man. Yeah, thanks for, yeah, thanks for inviting me on and enjoy the conversation. And I will say likewise, Mando season three really challenged me, and uh, and I and I like it for that reason. Um, but uh, yeah, it's there's still stuff I'm be I'll be working through, and then there's some stuff I'll just be like, whatever, man. I'm just watching Star Wars. You know? <laughs> uh, but uh, Frank, you uh, have another podcast, one that I have uh, had the pleasure of uh, joining. Do you want to tell the uh, fine folks where yeah. you guys can find that? Yeah, it's called Scoundrels Inc. And we're on YouTube. Uh, we have a podcast feed as well. Um, you can find it all at the same name, Twitter, Instagram. We post clips and stuff like that. Um, we're actually on, on our YouTube side. We, I, Well, I started, we're going to, you know, we mentioned Jedi Survivor a little while ago. Uh, going to be streaming Jedi Survivor over on our channel. Nice. Uh, we'll see how that goes. We did a little test stream. I did a test stream the other day playing uh, Lego uh, the Skywalker, Star Wars, the Skywalker Saga, nice. did the Empire Strikes Back portion. That was a lot of fun. And so that was a little bit of test. And uh, we'll be doing Jedi Survivor, streaming that. Um, this on the weekend or during the week, whenever it's going to happen, whenever I have time, because I'm going to go see Return of the Jedi on Saturday. Hell yeah. Um, that's going to be great. I can't wait to see that in theater. Um, uh, I don't know if you guys are or got tickets to go oh, see I'm that going. yet, but if yeah. you haven't, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Everyone, sure. everyone out there who's listening, and, and you got to go see this thing for in sure. the theater. Um, but yeah, so Scoundrels Inc. airs, uh, we air every Thursday. Uh, 10 a.m. Pacific time on the feed and on YouTube. So uh, go ahead and check us out over there. Give us a sub, like. If you want to review, cool. If you want to, if you want to say we're these guys know nothing, go ahead, leave it. I'd love to see what you have to say. Uh, or if you want to be like, hey, they're not, they're all right. They 
that's, they sound like a good time. <laughs> uh, you can leave that review as well. But uh, yeah, guys, thanks for having me on. And uh, this was a blast. Absolutely. Uh, I was uh, able to join them for the episode, uh, The Foundling. So if you want to get like my immediate yes. Keller and Beck reaction, like that, the, yeah. <laughs> the, that was a really fun episode. We also did some uh, Bad Batch stuff over there and I was able to mm-hmm. properly gush about that show. So uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, but Noah, do you want to go ahead and uh, wrap us up and take us home, my friend? For sure. Thank you guys so much for tuning in with us. We hope you learned something today. If there's any topics or bits of news you think we should cover, you can head over to our Twitter and shoot us a message at ScumVillainPod. But for now, this has been Scum and Villainy with Noah DeGeorge and Garrett McDowell. And may the force be with you. We'll see you next time. See you guys.